I'm excited for what God's going to do in this season. I'm glad you're here this morning for the kickoff of this series. I believe this is a word that God wants to get down into our hearts, not just for today, but really uh, for, for this year. I believe it's timely, and I believe it's ordained of the Lord. Now, I, I know you just heard a lot of announcements, but I just want to mention a couple more things be- before we get into the word. So this is the moment where you can go ahead and get your Bible out and your notepad and your pen and, and just get ready. But I want to just mention a couple of things to you. One is uh, we started a Facebook group recently, and uh, that's not because we're not still using our Facebook page. The page is really kind of like a a front porch of the church. Uh, We make uh, posts and advertisements there. But what we did is we really want to just have more of a conversation with the church community. It's not a closed group. Anybody that's connected to the the church can join it. Uh, But if you haven't found that yet, let me just encourage you. To find that, just look for that, Wrightsville Assembly of God. It's not the page. Uh, it's a group. If that doesn't make sense to you, forget it. Just keep moving on. Not important. If you don't know what that means, your, your salvation is still intact. It's fine. But I do want to encourage you as a church, be a part of that. We've made some updates over the last few weeks and just shooting some videos. And, uh, and so just another way for us to communicate as a church family. Not everything that you want to say to your friends, you ought to say to the whole world. Amen. Now that you might want to write down. I'm just, that's just free today. That's just, just some social media etiquette. Some stuff you don't need to say to the whole world. But we can say it to each other because we, we're more forgiving. Something else I want to mention to you. We're doing, we've never done this before, but I, I'm super excited about it. We're going to start an Easter choir. All right, it's going to be, uh, yeah, amen. We kicked off this year and had a, an ensemble up here. So we're putting a choir together, and we'll have information uh, details next week. But I just, I just want to let you know, you can be a part of it. Uh, it's going to be, the, the choir is going to be singing on Palm Sunday, on Easter Sunday, and then the Sunday right after that. If you want to be a part of it, we'd love to have you join us and be a part of that. We'll be rehearsing on uh, March 27th, April 3rd, Friday nights. It's going to be a great time. You know, this idea of the kingdom, God's called us to build it. He's called us to, to advance the kingdom. And if we're going to advance the kingdom, how many of you know that means we've got to step out in faith? Now, I know it sounds like I'm starting the sermon, and I kind of am. But I also want to just make one more announcement, because we're going to do something together this year to step out in faith that we've never done before on Easter. And, and I want to give you the heart behind why. Back at Christmas time. Uh, just this past Christmas, uh, we we decided on Christmas Eve to have a third service. And we had never done that before. And uh, we, we kind of felt like uh, we, we didn't know how it would go. But uh, we felt like based on what had happened the previous Christmas, that maybe a third service would be uh, profitable. And so we did three services on Christmas Eve uh, just this past year. And for the first time ever, we broke uh, the 400 barrier in our attendance. And, and God just worked it out so beautifully. We couldn't have orchestrated it better. Each of those three services were like evenly distributed. You didn't all show up at the first one uh, or the second one. It was great. It was beautiful. So we've been praying about uh, Easter Sunday. Now, as a congregation, we don't feel like we're at the place yet where we need to go to three services. Uh, God's doing some great things in the 9 o'clock and the 11 o'clock service. So we're not at that place where we need to have three services. But we're looking specifically at Easter Sunday. We're looking at one of the highest attended Sundays of the year. And so what we're going to do this year on Easter Sunday is we're going to have three Sunday morning services. 
So I want you to just begin to plan for that. Uh, what that's going to look like is we'll have an 8.30 service. Instead of a 9 o'clock, we'll have an 8.30 service. We're going we're gonna to take 15 minutes off of our service time. So usually they're an hour and a half. They're going to be an hour and 15 minutes. And like our Christmas services, it's going to be a very uh, structured hour and 15 minutes with a hard stop. We're going to make that service one hour and 15 minutes. And then instead of a 30-minute transition between services, because we are going to stop on time. Somebody say amen to the preacher because we know whose fault it is. We're going to have a 15-minute transition. So we'll have a service at 8.30, and then we'll have the second service at 10 o'clock. The first one will end at 9.45. The second one will start at 10 o'clock. That service will end at 11.15. The next service will start at 11.30, and it will end at 12.45. So we're only about a half-hour difference altogether in the length of time for our volunteers and our serve teams. But I want to just encourage you right now to begin to pray with us because we're doing it for a purpose. We're doing it with expectation. We're doing it because we believe that God is going to mobilize us as a church to bring many people to church to celebrate the resurrected Lord. And I want to promise you we're going to declare his resurrection on that Sunday. And I believe God's going to do great things. Amen. Church, did you know that we are averaging 50 more people in our weekend attendance right now in the middle of winter than we were in December? Isn't that incredible? I mean, 50 more people. We were running right about 200 people in December. We've, we've had more than 250 in our weekend services every weekend for the last month. Last Sunday, we were three people short of 300. I think that's amazing. I don't know of too many churches that are, that are growing like that in the middle of winter. This is usually the time where, you know, you kind of just kind of hold on till Easter. Like, come on. But I'm telling you, God is doing something in our hearts and lives. And as we prayed about that and thought about it, we felt like it would be irresponsible to not honor God's faithfulness with faith. And so I want to challenge you to pray with us about that. In the coming weeks, I, I know you probably don't remember the times I just said. We're going to put that in writing. We're going to have invitations that you can give out to people. And, and we want to encourage you uh, to help us make that a successful day. Our ministry team leaders will be talking with you if you're on a serve team about what that will look like that day. But uh, I want to just ask you to pray about that as we move that direction. All right. Now, are you ready to get into this word? This life group series Pastor Chris was telling you about is going to be a, a deep dive into some of the teachings about the kingdom of God. Jesus often spoke about the kingdom. It was the primary focus of his ministry. He would often start his messages with the kingdom of God is like. And then he would talk about something, oftentimes something you could hold in your hand. He would talk about a pearl, a seed, a bag of gold. And he would use these things to help us to understand the uh, the the concept of the kingdom, and, and in our life groups, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be diving into the concepts of the kingdom, but the kingdom story actually begins even before our story. The kingdom story, if you want to know where the kingdom story begins, you got to go all the way back to the beginning, and when I say all the way back to the beginning, I mean before Eden. So what I want to do today is just to kind of set the, the tone as we get into this series this morning. I, I'm just going to give a broad overview of the kingdom of God. I want to talk about a few kingdoms today. If you're a note taker, this is the first kingdom. Somebody say the first kingdom. See, long before God made people, he made angels. 
God made angels, and, and the angels serve him. The angels minister unto the Lord. We see all through the Bible that the, the angels would be the messengers that would carry God's word and deliver his news. Angels were warriors. We see in the Old Testament oftentimes that the angels would fight battles. The Bible says that when Daniel prayed, there was a war in the heavenlies as the angel of the Lord was breaking through, bringing the answer to the prayer. And so there's activity, even in our lives, that angels are doing right now. The Bible says that God will give his angels charge over you, which means you have guardian angels that are on assignment from heaven. But long before there was an us, and before they had any responsibility to you and to I as the people made in God's image, angels existed as citizens in God's kingdom. We get a picture of it in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah saw the, the Lord and the train of his robe as it filled the temple. And, and he saw the, the cherubs and they had wings covering their eyes and wings they were flying with and wings covering their feet. And they're, they're these not human, supernatural Winged agents that are celebrating and advancing the glory of God. They're worshiping. Revelation says they surround the throne of God and they worship God in that place. And in every kingdom, here or in heaven, every kingdom has a governmental structure. And so it's no different in the kingdom of heaven. There's a governmental structure. And so there's leaders, there's, there's angels that have higher rank than other angels. And of all the angels in God's kingdom, the highest in command among all of them was an angel named Lucifer. His name meant shining one. Lucifer was the high commander of the citizens of heaven. And the Bible talks about who he is in Ezekiel chapter 18, or chapter 28 rather, verse 12. I want to give you a picture here in Ezekiel of what Lucifer's role was and what he looked like in God's kingdom. Verse 12 says, Son of man, take up this lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the servant of the Lord says. Now listen to this description. We understand this to be a description of Lucifer. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. God said you were, you were the seal. You were the stamp of approval of all that is perfect and all that is right. Anything that gets done, he was the one that put the seal of perfection on it. That he was full of wisdom, and he didn't just do things perfectly. It said he looked good doing it. He said he's perfect in beauty. This is Lucifer. Verse 13 says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. Carnelian, chrysolite, and emerald, topax, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. We don't even know what some of those stones are, so say them however you want to. But he had them. He was, he was arrayed with them. He was beautiful. And then it says, your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were 
prepared. Now, let me just say to you, we're reading out of the NIV translation, and this translation takes a very practical interpretation of this phrase, settings and mountain, mountains were made of gold. But even in the footnote of, of my Bible, it tells us that the meaning of that Hebrew phrase is unknown. In fact, many scholars believe that that phrase doesn't have anything to do with the, the mountings and the settings for the stones, but that it can be translated to mean the pipes, the instruments. In other words, the description is that many believe that this word refers to musical pipes, that Lucifer was, in essence, the worship leader of the heavenly host. And maybe some of you have heard that before, and you thought, where's that from? This is where that's from, that literally he, he was created with praise. That he, that he breathed worship. That everywhere he went, there was the, the sound of heaven. Now, God was the, the, God was the feature film, but Lucifer was the soundtrack of the heavenlies. If you could envision the glory of eternity past, then you can envision the glory and the sound of Lucifer. He embodied music. Maybe that's why our worship's so powerful today. You know, the Bible says your worship is powerful. Your worship can tear down strongholds. The Bible says in Psalm 8 and 2, out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have ordained praise to silence the enemy. And so when even a child worships, the Bible says that, that God silences our adversary through our worship. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat sent out the choir before the front lines of the military. And the Bible says, and as they lifted up this song, forever God is faithful. Give thanks to the Lord, for God is faithful. As they sang that song, the Bible says that God sent ambushments against their enemy. And they won the battle that day because the worshipers went out First, David was a worshiper before anything else. He was a worshiper, and, and he got a job in the palace of the king because when he played his harp, the atmosphere shifted, and evil spirits left. And Saul said, I'm dealing with some stuff. I need somebody that has that kind of anointing on their worship. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in prison and they began to worship God. And as they lifted up their voice in the midnight hour, the Bible says the whole place was shaken and the shackles fell off of them. There's power in worship. Your praise, it rattles the enemy. And I just wonder if it doesn't rattle the enemy because it's what he was created to do. I just wonder if when you lift up your voice and worship to God, it's a reminder to Lucifer of just how far he's fallen. There's something powerful in praise. Look at what else Ezekiel 28 says about Lucifer. Verse 14. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the fiery stones. God said, I anointed you. You were glorious. My favor was on you. And you were right there on the holy mountain. He was the most glorious of all the angels. But then one day, 
He just decided, I'm enjoying this worship so much, I'd like to receive it. And so Lucifer began to pursue an audience for himself. He began to want to be the desire of heaven's worship. Look at verse 15. It says, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. That had never happened before. There was no sin in heaven. We always talk about Adam and Eve as the the first sin, but the first sin's right here. It's Ezekiel 28, verse 16. You were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. So God communicates what he did in response to this rebellion, to this challenge to his kingdom. Why in the world would Lucifer do that? I mean, to be the highest, most glorious, anointed, and honored of all of the angels of heaven. Why in the world would Lucifer try to usurp the throne, try to receive the worship that was due to God? Well, we don't actually have to wonder because Isaiah talks about this moment. Isaiah tells us exactly what Lucifer was thinking. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, it says this. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You've been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart. Here's here's the script. Here's how it went down. God prophetically tells Isaiah what Lucifer was thinking in the first kingdom. I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most Hi, I don't know if you're counting, but that's five times that he said, this is what I'm going to do. That ought to be a warning shot across uh, our minds today. About the the thoughts that we see and the the self-centeredness that wants to creep into our own lives. He said, I will, I will, I will. I'm going to ascend the other stars. That's the other angels. I'm going to be exalted above them. I'm going to sit enthroned in the assembly. In other words... I'm going to create my own kingdom. I'm going to have my own dominion. Revelation 12.4 tells us how successful he was. Because when he was cast down to the earth, Revelation tells us that a third of the angels fell with him. He split the kingdom. A third of all the heavenly hosts were cast down with him. And just like that, we have a rival kingdom. Two-thirds in the heavens, one-third in the earth. And so in the courtroom of heaven, God holds a trial. And he judges Lucifer for high treason against his kingdom. What's the punishment? Well, Jesus told us 
what the punishment was. He said in Matthew 25, 41, that there is an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You need to know this about hell. It is an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I've had people ask before, maybe you have too, well, how would a good God send people to hell? If God's so loving, why would he send people to hell? And the answer is, he wouldn't. But sin would. Sin would. In fact, God will say to many people what Ezekiel 28, 16 says, what he said to Lucifer, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God and I expelled you. Romans 6.23, Paul said it like this. He said, for the wages of sin is death. It's death. Jesus spoke about Lucifer's judgment. In fact, I want you to see this verse in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And that's a powerful statement. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. They're so excited because they cast out demons and the demons left. And Jesus is saying, well, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then he told them, I've given you the authority I have. In other words, don't be surprised that you can do that. Well, somebody here needs to recognize the, the kingdom potential that you have today. The, the, the authority that Jesus had, he said, I've given to you. Don't be shocked because you can cast demons out in my name. I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, there's three things that that statement right there tells us. First of all, it tells us Jesus is saying, I was there. I was there in the beginning. Jesus was there in the beginning. Now we know that it's not until the New Testament that Jesus is born as a babe in Bethlehem's manger. But he existed from the beginning. God said, let us make man in our own image. Colossians 1.15 says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth. So he wasn't just at the beginning of earth's creation. He was there at the beginning of heaven. All things made, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, verse 17 says, and in him all things hold together. Jesus said, I was there. In the courtroom of heaven, when, when God judged Lucifer for his rebellion. I saw him fall. The second thing that verse tells us is that at the trial, Lucifer got a name change. Because Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. See, Lucifer means the shining one, but Satan means the adversary of God. And just like we saw God do through the Old Testament when he would, he would give someone a new name that was synonymous with their purpose and their plan. and their, that, that God called him by a new name that day when he kicked him out of heaven. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. But it tells us a third thing. 
And this is really important. This statement from Jesus in Luke 10, 18, when he said, I've seen Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It also tells us that the sentence for the crime was not immediately carried out. Now, we know hell was prepared for Satan. That's not where he fell to. We read it in Ezekiel. He was cast down to the earth. So so there was a sentencing, but then there was a delay. Instead of being cast into the abyss, into the lake of fire, God cast Satan down to the earth. So now Satan's there with a third of his angels. They're cast down to the earth. And we see a picture of the judgment and what it's going to look like when the judgment is finally issued. But to see that, you got to go all the way to the back of the book. Revelation chapter 20 verse 10 says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But how many of you know that hasn't happened yet? Some of you, you've had enough encounters with the devil to know he is not there yet. So there's a gap. There's a gap between the sentencing and the implementation of that punishment. And that that gap It's called time. That gap is called history. That gap is where the Bible starts. This is where we begin Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, now when the Bible begins with those words, God's in heaven. God's kingdom's in heaven. God's citizens are in heaven. But look at the earth, verse 2. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we see heaven. It's glorious and it's grand. But the earth is is formless. It's It's dark. It's a swamp. Why? Because this is the place where Satan and a third of the angels were cast down to. But then it says the Spirit hovered over the water. And God decided to do something. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of creativity. It's the creative power of God. That's why the church ought to be the most creative people in the world. The Spirit hovers over the water, and God decides, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to create a lesser being. And I've already got my angels. I'm going to create a lesser being. I'm going to create one that can't fly. I'm going to create one that, that can't travel through time and space. They're constricted to those things. I'm going to create a being that that can't take on other forms, a being that can't be invisible, a being that isn't as strong, and I'm going to put them in this new creation. And he did it to establish a new kingdom. So let me tell you about the new kingdom. 
That was the first kingdom. Now he has a new kingdom. Psalm 8 talks about the psalmist understanding of why God would do this. And to be honest, he doesn't have any answers, but this is what he says. In Psalm 8 and verse 4, he says, What is mankind? That you're mindful of them. Human beings, that you would care for them. That's the question the psalmist asks. Verse 5 says, You made them a little lower than the angels, and you crowned them with glory and honor, and you made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. The psalmist wanted to know, God, why'd you do that? I mean, who are we? I mean, you made us less than the angels, and yet you've given us authority and dominion, and you've given us the opportunity to rule all of this. And, and I don't know that I have a better answer than the psalmist could come up with, but I do know this. I do know that God communicates to us that he can do a whole lot more with less qualified and less capable people that are fully surrendered to him than he could with more qualified and more capable beings that are in rebellion. And that ought to encourage somebody today to know that God can and will fulfill his purpose for the kingdom in your life. Because the fact that you have a life is a testimony to God's desire to use a lesser being to bring more glory to him than what a greater being could do if it wasn't surrendered to his lordship. And so God makes man in his own image. In the likeness of God, Genesis says, he created them male and female. And in chapter, chapter 1, verse 3 of Genesis, God begins to whip the earth into shape. The Holy Spirit's hovering and God decides, let there be light. Let, let's separate the light from the dark. Let's, let, let's, have, let's have water. And let's have land. And let's separate those. Let's have some plants and put some seeds in the ground. Let's have some animals. Let's have some fish in the sea and some birds in the air. And he creates all of this. And then he says, let us make man in our own image. And he made man. And the first thing that he did, we talked about this last, last month, he blessed them. Right? Because before there was original sin, there was original blessing. And God blessed them. And then he said this. He said, rule. He gave him authority. He said, I want you to rule. And the Bible says that God walked in the cool of the day in the garden with Adam. They had fellowship. They had intimacy. And let me just say, that's always been God's desire. That's always been his desire, that you could have a close relationship with him. And we've seen it in glimpses with some people. The Bible says he spoke uh, to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. The Bible says Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. So they just walked and walked together and then they just kept walking and they went to God's house. So there are some people that have experienced this kind of intimacy. But most of us haven't. But Adam did in this new kingdom. He walked with God. And God gave Adam and Eve the rules for this kingdom because not only do do governments have authority, but they have rules. They have laws. There's a way to operate in the kingdom. And God gave them the kingdom rules. And many of you know it already. He said, don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden. Don't eat 
from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why? Why, why, why not? I mean, why not just experience it? Why, why, why put limitations on us? Because it's not just a tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And can I say today that God wants the people in his kingdom to live out of a revelation of his word, not out of experimentation. See, that was the whole thing here. Look, you, you can trust me. You can trust that I'm good. You can trust that I'm telling you everything you need to know. That, that when I say you can rule and have dominion over all of it, I'm actually giving you the ability to rule and have dominion over it. And you can just live out of the revelation of what I've said about you. Or you can go and try to figure it out for yourself. And I tell you, that, that's the lie that people are still being fed today. People think that, you know, I... I can't trust God's word. I mean, I, I got to go out and try it for myself. I, I got to live a little. I got to sow my wild oats. Well, Jesus said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who sowed good seed. He didn't say nothing about sowing wild oats. Good seed. Romans 16, 19 says, be excellent in what is good. Be innocent of evil. And so there's no place in the kingdom of God for us to, to go by experimentation. I don't have to experiment with drugs and alcohol. I don't have to experiment with sexual promiscuity. I don't have to experiment with, with lasciviousness and, and doing all the things that my sinful nature wants to gratify. I can trust what God's word says about it. But, but Adam couldn't. He just had to know. He just had to know what it was he was going to be abstaining from. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I, I got to wonder when I read that, what evil? There was no sin, right? I mean, this is before they hadn't eaten it yet. This is perfect new kingdom. What evil is Adam going to get knowledge about if he eats from the tree? Well, there's a third of the angels already there. They've already been cast down to the earth. And we find out what evil in Genesis chapter 3. Because at the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes to Eve to tempt her in the form of a serpent. First conversation he has with a human, it's a conversation about God's word. I said your praise is powerful, but... I'm telling you, this word right here is powerful. It's powerful. And it's no coincidence that the first thing Satan said had to do with the word of God. Funny thing about it is, the devil doesn't have any problem talking about God. The devil doesn't have any problem with religion. You can talk about God all you want to. But he knows if he's going to overthrow a kingdom and kingdom authority in your life. He's got to get you out from under the authority of this book. He's got to get you out from under the authority of God's word in your life. When you look in Genesis chapter 2, it's interesting. Genesis 2 is kind of a, an expansion, a re-explanation of Genesis 1. God didn't make Adam and Eve twice. He just explains in chapter 2 
what he did in chapter 1. And all through chapter 2, God is referred to as the Lord God. The Lord God. Just as your eyes scan the page, verse 4 says the Lord God. Verse 5 says the Lord God. Verse 8 says the Lord God. All the way down through, the Lord God, the Lord God. Then you get to chapter 3. Satan starts a conversation. He says, did God really say? See, he doesn't have a problem with you talking about God or learning about God or singing about God so long as you don't make him the Lord God, so long as you don't submit your life to him. Oh, we, we can talk, talk about it all day. Praise God. We're in church. We're feeling good. But is he Lord? And so Eve begins to dialogue with the serpent, leaving the Lord part out of the conversation. And we know the story. Adam and Eve ate the fruit. They disobeyed God. And when they did, they forfeited their authority and their rule in the new kingdom. God gave it to them. He said, it's yours. You rule. Now, it's my kingdom, but, but you rule. You're my representative. You have my signet ring. I'm going to rule, but I'm only going to rule through your authority. So it's up to you to do it right. And that's still the way it is, by the way. And instead, they forfeited their authority. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 4. This is the moment where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness by the devil. You remember this story. Right at the beginning of his ministry, John baptized him in the Jordan. By the way, I'm going to be baptized in the Jordan next week. Y'all pray for me. I'm going to Israel tomorrow. I hope I come out with what he came out with. The Bible says after he came out of the waters, the spirit descended on him like a dove. But I don't want this next part because then it says the spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. I'm going to come home before that. <laughs> and I want you to look at what it says. He's having a conversation with the devil. The tempter, Satan, the deceiver comes to him in Luke chapter 4 verse 5. It says the devil led him up to a high place and he showed him in an instant. All the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, to Jesus, I will give you all their authority and splendor. How could the devil offer that to Jesus? He said, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. And then he explained it. He said, it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. But when did he get it? Genesis 3. Adam and Eve forfeited. Their authority and their dominion in the earth. That's why when Jesus was talking about the devil, he said, the prince of this world is coming, but he has no hold on me. But he did recognize his authority in a kingdom. He called him the prince. He's the prince of the powers of the air. And he told Jesus, I've got the authority and I can give it to who I want to. You bow down and worship me, I'll give you the crown without the cross. How's that sound? And he's been telling that lie to Christians ever since. Oh, you don't, got, you don't got to suffer for your faith. 
There's an easier way. Oh, you don't have to, you don't have, to have high moral standards. You don't have to resist temptation. I mean, come on, you don't, you don't have to live above reproach. You don't have to honor God when nobody's looking. I'll bless you. I, I've got the authority. I can make things work for you. You can have a crown without a cross. Because it's my kingdom now. And I can give it to who I want to. Let me tell you about the next kingdom, though. Because the Bible says in Genesis 3, after they had sinned, Adam and Eve hid from God. Isn't that our tendency? Man, it's, it's, ha- it's hard to get up and go to church when you've blown it. Even though we all know that's the weekend I need to get to the house of God. Shame, embarrassment, regret, remorse. We feel like Adam and Eve. All of a sudden we feel exposed. The Bible says for the first time they realize their nakedness. And that's how we feel when our sins find us out. We feel exposed. Do you know what God did? The Bible says God came looking for them. And he always does. Amen. He always does. He came looking. Where are you, Adam? Where are you? He comes looking for them and he, and he finds them there in the garden. And God had a plan. He spoke to Adam. Then he spoke to Eve. And then he began to prophesy to the serpent, to Satan. In Genesis chapter 14, or chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, this is what Jesus, God in the flesh, who walked in the garden, this is what he said. Genesis 3, 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you. Above all the livestock and all wild animals, you will crawl on your belly. So I just just answered the question for some of you who've been wondering since kindergarten, why don't snakes have legs? There it is. It's part of the curse. They lost them right there. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. Listen to verse 15. This might be the most important verse in all the Bible. God says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Why do I say that might be the most important verse in all the Bible? Because right there in Genesis 3, God prophesied about the coming of Jesus. Right there in that moment, God initiates the plan for a new kingdom. And and everything else in the Bible responds to that. Genesis 3.15. Everything else in the word of God is a response to that prophetic utterance from God in the garden. God says, this is my my kingdom agenda. This is what I'm going to do. There's going to be conflict between you and the woman, but his offspring, her offspring is coming. And you're going to strike his heel. Signifying Jesus' death on the cross. But he's going to crush your head. And I want to tell you today that God will rule his kingdom. And God will rule through a man. Because that was the plan. That God's going to rule through a man. He's not going to just come down and, and just force himself on us. And make you line up and make you obey the laws and make you submit to authority. No, God doesn't do that. 
He gave you a free will. He gave you your own choice. He gave you the option. He gave all of us the option. We all, we all have the, the opportunity to live in the blessing or pursue the curse. We can live out of the revelation or we can go after our own experimentation. We can either submit ourselves to the Lord or we can just talk about God. But God's plan is that I will establish a kingdom and I'll do it through a man. And we know how he did it. Because we know who the fulfillment of that prophecy was. And that's why it's so important that Jesus didn't just step down out of heaven to walk with us for a little while. He came and he was born of a virgin. Because Jesus became like us. A child is born. A son is given. The son was already there before Eden. But a child was born. And God's going to fulfill his plan and his purpose. Jesus is what Paul called the second Adam. See, that if you can understand the second Adam, then you can understand the, the, the kingdom and God's plan. Everything that God tried to initiate the first time, he said, I'm going to redeem it. I'm, I'm going I'm to make this right. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21, for since death came through a man... Adam, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. God gives us a beautiful picture of what it's going to look like. It's funny, Ezekiel 28 says that, that Lucifer was in the Eden of God. But they were in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Which tells me there was, there was two Edens. Just like God told Moses that the tabernacle you're building is just a, a, a model. It's a representation of the real tabernacle. Make sure you build it right. Make sure you follow the instructions I give you because this, this is a prototype of the real deal. One day you're going to really come into my presence. One day you're really going to come into my throne room. And one day you're really going to come into Eden. And the Bible gives us a beautiful picture of what that's going to look like. Revelation 21 tells us, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. They'll be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. I'm telling you there's coming a day where God will fully restore everything that was lost in the fall. And the Eden of heaven will be the Eden of earth. Can I tell you today, everything I've just told you, Satan already knows. He knows how the story ends. He knows he doesn't win. He knows he can't win. He, he was in the courtroom. He heard the judgment. He knows his future. He can't win. His kingdom is temporary. Can I challenge you today? Don't let him deceive you 
into doubting God's word. Don't let him deceive you into doubting God's promises and God's plan and the revelation that God has for you and I. There is so much that God wants us to understand about the kingdom potential that has been given to us. We got to understand first and foremost what this kingdom's all about, what God is doing. He has a plan and a purpose to be exalted in the earth through you and through me. Through me. And, and I, and I want to just pray today at the conclusion of this service, and I want to challenge you to just respond to the Lord God. I want to ask if we could, before we leave this place today, would you bow your head with me all over this room? We're going to take a moment, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. God, I thank you for the truth of your word that you've made so real to me in my heart. But God, I pray today that you would give fresh revelation to someone in this room. God, give fresh revelation today to someone who's had the lies of the enemy dangled in front of them. They've heard the same thing that Eve heard. Did God really say? God, if there's any confusion or skepticism or doubt pointed in your direction today, God, I pray for revelation, for clarity. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. I wonder today if you could just pray that very personally over your own heart. Don't just pray it for the world or world systems or for the end times. But to say right now in my life, in this moment, I wonder if you could pray that prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. I want to walk in submission to your authority. I want to live in obedience to your word. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you right now to make a statement of faith by just simply lifting up a hand. And by lifting up your hand, you're just saying, I need Jesus to be my Lord and my God. Every head's bowed, every eye's closed. I'm looking right now, and I'm asking you, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you're far from God, if sin has separated you from God, and you sense today without repentance, without forgiveness, I'm, I'm hell bound. He'll say to me what he said in Ezekiel 28, you have sinned and I have cast you down. If you're here today and you say, I need forgiveness. I need reconciliation. I need his kingdom to come and his will to be done in my life today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now? I'm looking right now. Say, that's me, pastor, that's me. Thank you so much. You can put your hand back down. Praise God. God's working in several men in this room. Praise God. Mm, thank you, Holy Spirit. 
I just sensed the Lord speak a word to me. Listen, we, we look at Genesis and, and we like to blame Eve because she ate the fruit first. But read the text carefully. The Bible says Adam was with her. The first sin was not eating the fruit. The first sin was silence. God's looking for some men to step up and lead. Somebody needs to hear that today. That's not in the notes. That's the spirit of the Lord speaking to you. It's time for you to lead. It's time for you to not be silent. It's time for you to not let your wife take the fall. Father, today I pray you strengthen men in this place. Strengthen their resolve. Strengthen their convictions. God, make them leaders in their homes. Make them leaders in their faith. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, several people raised their hand a moment ago. I'm going to ask the whole church to pray this prayer with me. We're just going to consecrate ourselves to the Lord together. Say this with me. Say, dear God, I surrender to your Lordship. My sins deserve your wrath, but your grace, it covers me. I believe Jesus died to make me clean, so I receive salvation by faith. I am a new creation. The old is gone. Today, all things have become new. Fill me with your spirit. Give me the power to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. In his name, amen. Amen. Church, could we stand to our feet all over this room? And I just wonder if somebody would help me in lifting up a powerful praise that scares the life out of the devil. Would you just give God praise with me one time today? God, we worship you today. We exalt you, Jesus. We glorify you, Lord. You're worthy, God. Jesus, be exalted. Jesus, be glorified. Silence the foe and the avenger, God. Your name be praised. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, one more time. Amen? Amen. Amen. amen.